This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. You've probably heard the song, Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Well, it may be true that holiness is what we need, but... If you look at the condition of America and the church in America today, you would really wonder whether holiness is what we really long for. Because in reality, what we see is almost nothing but lawlessness. We see it everywhere, from pulpit to pew. We see it uh, in the church house. We see it in the White House. We see it in the schoolhouse. We see it in the courthouse. We're seeing it everywhere, lawlessness, or the abuse and misuse of law, Unfortunately, the same is true in God's own house. We say that the law is passed away. Really? Well, if the law is passed away, maybe that's the reason why we've all become so lawless. Maybe it's the thoughts of our hearts with regard to the very meaning of the law of God that has created the spirit of lawlessness in our society. And maybe, in some respects, it's actually being led from the pulpits and pews of America. Is that possible? Indeed, it's very possible, friends. In fact, we may be putting our blessing on lawlessness in the name of Christ himself. Maybe, maybe it's because we don't understand the meaning of holiness. Maybe we have a lot in our lives, in our thinking, our theology, and so on, that is, well, kind of perverse, you might say. So on viewpoint here today, we're going to take a look at this subject of holiness. If it's truly something we're longing for, if you've been singing that song occasionally, if your congregation has led it, your worship team has led it, or whatever, maybe we need to come to grips with it and kind of spell some things out in a way that it becomes a living reality in each one of our lives. Because holiness is not just coming before the Lord on a Saturday or a Sunday or whenever your congregation gathers to worship and lifting up your hands and praising God. Holiness has to do with our life, a life to be lived. And so today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about that. And don't turn the dial, because, friends, the Bible says this, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Oh, my goodness. When was the last time you heard that preached? Did you know it is actually in the Bible, in Levitic, in, in Hebrews chapter 12? Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And that includes women as well. So, this matter of holiness apparently is something that is uniquely sensitive in the mind and heart of God, who claims to be holy, and therefore he commands us to be holy. How do we do that? What does it even mean? That's what we want to talk about here today with our special guest, Carl Barrett. Uh, He's never been on with us here before. He's coming from Texas and uh, they tell me that a lot of good things come out of Texas. Uh, I understand, Carl, that you guys have even considered severing yourself from the union in order that Texas could be more holy. Is that right? <laughs> well, well, I tell you what, I'm going to say this. 
on behalf of the state of Texas, we're a long stretch from that. Well, I, I think I would have to agree with you. Uh, holiness is, is kind of a mysterious word. It's not a term that we use in our common parlance, is it? You haven't talked to your wife or, uh, about, uh, hey, holiness, how are you doing today? You haven't been yeah. doing that, have you? No, no, not. No, no. And uh, you've been involved in in ministry, uh, in prison. In fact, uh, it's hard to talk about holiness in prison, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah. In fact, it's hard to talk about holiness anywhere these days, right. isn't it? Why is that? I think what the word holiness rattles people's spiritual cage. <laughs> That's absolutely true, but why? Holiness challenges humans with the confrontation of the sin in their life. Holiness, the holiness of God, is the consummate of his divine character. And I was listening to everything that you were saying, Chuck, mm-hmm. which is all absolutely true. If a lot of people get holiness and righteousness a little confused. So if I can sort of paint a an elementary picture of what holiness really is, holiness is by God. It's the character of who we are mm-hmm. in God. All right. Righteousness is our position. It's our stance. And who is the righteous one? The one that we stand upon, that is Jesus Christ. True. So, Jesus Christ. So, the more we exemplify Jesus Christ in our lives, the more of God's holiness is portrayed and exhibited in how we conduct and act in our daily lives. Well, you know, the interesting thing is that the word righteousness actually has a twofold meaning. One is what you described as the position of righteousness uh, through the blood of Christ, but then there's the life of righteousness. And the Bible says that righteousness is the habitation of God's throne. Right. So, in other words, righteousness is very much akin to holiness. If you don't live righteously, you cannot claim to be holy. Would that be true? That's very true. All right. in a, in a great letter that talks about that righteous living, and believe it or not, of all letters, is captured in the letter of Titus and tells us how to live a righteous life, and especially a society that we're challenged with in this culture of today. All right, but the, the problem with this is that we have, uh, for at least 60 years now, and I've watched this trajectory from coast to coast, For at least 60 years now, we have been involved in various aspects, elevations of, first, the church growth movement in the 1970s coming out of Southern California. And then out of that, in the 1990s, came the seeker-sensitive movement. And then out of that, in the 2000s, came the emerging church movement. And each one became ever more distant from both righteousness and holiness. Right. Have you noticed that? Yeah, and, and I'm going to take us back in time, and I think you may may appreciate this, Chuck. Let's look at the four great awakenings. Let's look at the very first one that took place back in the early 18th century. If you 
are really historically in tune with the four great awakenings. The first great awakening that really started with, uh, I know a lot of people uh, contribute George Whitfield and uh, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards and even Gilbert Tennant. Mm -hmm. But the main focus of that first great awakening was guess what? Was was upon the congregation of the church, the people in the church. Right. That was the focus. Well, you can't have a revival of people that are already dead or have never been alive. So revival has nothing to do directly with evangelism, new believers. It has everything to do with the resurrection of dead ones. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned, friends. God's holiness versus man's lawlessness. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Is holiness something you long for? Have you ever sung that song, holiness, holiness is what I long for, holiness is what I need? Question, what is holiness? Have you ever thought about that? When the Bible says, be ye holy, for I am holy, when Jesus says, be ye holy, for I am holy, when God in the Old Testament says, be ye holy, for I am holy, what is he talking about? Is he talking about being absolutely perfect? Well, it's hard to believe that that would be the case, although there are those who have come to the conclusion that that's what God meant. In fact, it came out of something called the holiness movement that began in the late 1800s. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on into the program today. But what is holiness? If it's what we long for, what is it that we're longing for? Can we define that somehow specifically and simply, Carl? Holiness, in God's eyes, when he was trying to do something really unique with the nation of Israel, what was he trying to do? He was completely trying to set them apart mm-hmm. where they would be something unique and distinct from the pagan nations. Exactly. A, ho- a people holy unto him. That is absolutely correct. And that same principle applies to us today. Well, indeed it does, because the Apostle Peter picked up on exactly the same language, and he said, you're called, we are called now, even as Gentile believers, we're called to be a holy nation, a peculiar people that are called to follow the Lord, just as Israel was called. And uh, if you go back to the earliest days of this country, In uh, 1630, you will find a lawyer by the name of John Winthrop who had a unique call to holiness and to call the people from from, uh, England who were pursuing what they understood to be a holy life. And they were not tolerated in England, just not tolerated at all, just like they're not tolerated today in England. 
And so, and so uh, he brought four boatloads of Puritans over here to this country. They had tried to purify the Church of England and found it was impossible. God wanted to purify them, though. And so he led them over here to a new land, and he wrote what some historians believe to be the clearest expression of the American vision ever penned. It was called a model of Christian charity. And in that multi-page document, he set forth the vision of this country to be a holy people that would display the truth of the kingdom of God as never had been done in Israel or anywhere else in the world. That was the goal. That was a call to holiness, wasn't it? Absolutely. Now, and, can you imagine the godly humor of this to use an attorney to do that? Mm. <laughs> Why are you grunting like that? That is unfathomable. Unfathomable. Man, what a challenge. <laughs> well, God used some attorneys in our country. Uh, he used a fellow by the name of, uh, uh, he, he gave us a national anthem. And that's where we got our motto, in God is our trust. And this right. be our motto, in God is our trust, Francis Scott Key. Right. And so right. he also used Abraham Lincoln as a as a godly attorney. He says, you know, this nation under God and only under God shall have a new birth of freedom. Right. So God could use anybody if they're willing. That's exactly right. And that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a beautiful preface to the start of Leviticus. If you think about the first three offerings... Chuck, they were voluntary offerings. So if you just think about the word voluntary, mm-hmm. he is he's pretty much as an open door commitment of willingness for you to devote yourself and dedicate yourself to his service and have a unbelievable and genuine fellowship with him. That leads to a a roadmap throughout Leviticus of of growth, of being pure coming clean and staying clean, but to your point, not to the state of perfection, but you're striving for godly perfection. It's something that we will not reach on this side of heaven, but you, like Paul said in Philippians, it's something that we press on toward. It's that eternal prize, that goal. When you mention the book of Leviticus, uh, you've mentioned something that uh, most Christians would try to avoid reading because it doesn't read all that easily. Uh, it's not a storybook. It's not uh, a, a book about uh, how Israel left Egypt or how uh, Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees. It is the calling of God to the people that he already took out of Egypt to be holy and how to walk that out in righteousness and in holiness without which no man, including Israel, would see the Lord. So that's what the book of Leviticus is all about. And uh, so you have rightly stated that in your book. In fact, your whole book uh, is called A Guide Through Leviticus, and I appreciate that very much. I want to make it available to our listeners here today, by the way. Uh, Your gift friend of $22 to Save America Ministries will put God's holiness versus man's lawlessness in your hand. It's on our website, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, or you can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. 
Now, I noticed on the cover of your book, Carl, that at the top of the cover, above the title, you have uh, silhouetted people with their hands raised uh, to the Lord, to heaven. And then at the bottom, you have a picture of uh, the wild and lawlessness of American people uh, just carrying on in this country, the spirit of lawlessness. It's a dramatic contrast that I think you tried to portray here on the cover of your book. Yeah, and the the beautiful depiction, and you're going to know where I'm going with this, is that upper picture about people raising their hands. Not just Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church that we need to get back to, but I'm going to even go back a little bit further to the the Israelites or the Jews when they were released from capti- captivity from the 70 years of exile. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. Right. When the people were in unison, and there was a purpose behind it. They were longing to hear the laws of God. They wanted to hear it. They asked and requested Ezra to read it to them. And the beautiful, the beauty of that, Chuck, is when Ezra was on this huge platform overlooking the people, and he opened it up. The people stood up in absolute reverence and respect. Exactly. They did, and it was pouring rain. And, uh, (laughs) I mean, they had to really be dedicated and serious about this because they stood up there for hours listening to the word of the Lord being read. And what's fascinating about it is that one of the things that drew them to that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit that their marriages were so badly out of sync with the holiness of God and they needed correction. Now what do we do? They wanted to know, what do we do? And uh, we don't hear pastors today preaching the kind of message that Ezra did uh, there on that day that caused dramatic change among the marriages. The people actually took steps with their leadership because they knew they were going to have to separate from people that they were otherwise married to that was dishonoring to God. And, 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 to your, and, and so... They were so moved, and, and they acted on their conviction, mm-hmm. which we all need to do today, and they were raising their hands. So I'm, I'm portraying this picture of, of what you re- described in the book at the very front cover. Right. They were raising, they raised their hand, but they even bowed down. And, and number one is, can you imagine people showing that kind of reverence and respect in, in the churches today for that many hours, Chuck? No. I mean, if you end up toward noon, most people are walk, watching their watches. Exactly right. <laughs> and, and that's one of the reasons why, if you, if you ever went to seminary, one of the things that I was taught is that when you're up there behind the pulpit, do not look at the clock and do not look at your watch. Yeah. But I think a lot of people in America think that when the Bible says watch and pray, that's what they're talking about. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a distortion that is. <laughs> well, look. Wow. You mentioned in Chapter 1, the title of Chapter 1 of your book is Total Sacrifice. Right. And the Apostle Paul 
uh, wrote about this in Romans chapter 12. He said, uh, look, we should give our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable act of worship or service. The word sacrifice is not really fully appreciated in the modern American church today, including our evangelical churches and even fundamentalist churches. Just not understood because it's not a concept in the American way of life. We have an entitlement mentality. Why should we sacrifice anything? The four-letter word that gets in front of that understanding, to your point, the biblical definition of sacrifice is the ugly four-letter word called self. Oh. Well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. One of the most prominent preachers of the last uh, 50 years in America built the Christ Cathedral, and uh, pastors were coming flocking to his seminars every year to get guidance for how to grow their churches. And he here's what he said. He said, people don't want to know that they're sinners. We shouldn't be telling them they're sinners. That's abusive. We should be telling them how they can have more self-esteem. In other words, no sacrifice. Just be and become everything you want to be, regardless of what God says. That's what he said. It's like blasphemy, isn't it? Yes, and if I remember correctly, in Matthew, isn't there one unbelievable gentleman that says that in order to take up your cross and follow me, you have to deny self? I believe that was someone spelled (laughs) J-E-S-U-S. Jesus. Yes. Yeah, down there in Texas where you are, a lot of the people would say Jesus, wouldn't they? Well, yeah. yes, but hopefully in, in reference to the uh, Savior Redeemer, I hope not. Okay. But. Well, Jesus called us to a life of sacrifice. Jesus exemplified the like of sacrifice. And then he said a very strange thing at the end of the Beatitudes. You may recall mm-hmm. it. When he talks about blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed, all these different things, he then says, and blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall accuse you of all manner of evil things unrighteously, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets. So if you you understand Jesus' message, then you know that sacrifice has to be part of it and should be part of the cost of discipleship preached by our pastors today. Do we hear that? Do we hear that? No. No, No, we don't. So our people are not prepared for persecution. That's correct. They're just not. And the reason they're not prepared for persecution is they're not living holy lives. That's right. And you referenced Peter earlier and uh, talk about the very same powerful words about we must be holy because God is holy. Mm -hmm. He completely opens up the first chapter of his first epistle, Chuck, by saying that we're going to be like aliens in this foreign land. Now, wait a minute. So there really are aliens then? Yeah, in a different way. In a different sense, yeah. Well, the book of Hebrews also said we're going to be like strangers and aliens. 
That's right. But and we don't want to be like strangers and aliens. We like we want to be like the rest of the culture, just like Israel did. And therefore, as God dealt with Israel, so he's going to deal with America and the rest of the professing Christians who want to be just like the rest of the world. We, we've almost become like dabbling Christians, Chuck. Mm-hmm. And when I say dabbling Christians, it's like we're so superficial and so hypocritical. It's like we want our cake and eat it too. In other words, we want to have, we want to taste a little bit of the world. Actually, let me back up. I, I can't believe I said that. Well, you better oh, hold on. You better hold on to it because something profound is about to come and we're going into a break. Friends, Carl Barrett, our special guest today, God's holiness versus man's lawlessness. How do we walk in holiness? That's what God calls us to. The book on our website, saveus.org. We'll be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcasts live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. It's such a delight to be able to join you here today, every single day, Monday through Friday, for 28 and a half years, moving close to 29 years now, confronting the deepest issues of America's home, heart and home from God's eternal perspective. Once again, you know, here's another lawyer. Uh, I I guess God has a sense of humor to be able to speak through through lawyers, uh, come what may. Uh, but you need to make sure you pronounce the word correctly. It's not liars, it's lawyers. So make sure you get it correct. Uh, make, Carl, I'm just giving you a little warning. Make sure you get that pronunciation correct. Uh, don't, don't put a Texas spin on it. And uh, so, friends, we're talking about holiness here. And it's a serious matter. It really is. How many books have you found out there that are talking about holiness and righteousness. You won't find it. You know why? Because it doesn't market well. Like the cross, it doesn't sell or market well. It just doesn't. And we're all about the market in America, aren't we? Even our pastors are all about the market, or in many respects. It's true. How many Hundreds and hundreds of books do I get through this across my desk, and I have to divide off probably two-thirds of them. Why? Because they're gospel light. They're just not dealing with important issues. They're designed to please a secular mind in the name of Christ. That's what they're about. And so today, we're uh, biting the bullet, so to speak, And we're talking about that which God says is so important that without it, we won't even see him. 
You will not be prepared, my friend. I don't care what your pastor says. God says you will not see the Lord unless you're walking in holiness. Are you listening? That's what he said. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Mm-mm-mm. When Jesus said, be ye holy for I am holy, apparently he meant it. When God the Father back there in the Old Testament said, be ye holy for I am holy, apparently he meant it. Hmm. He meant it. God meant it. That's a hard concept for us in, as American Christians to grasp, isn't it, Carl? Yes, it is. That God really yeah. means anything. That's right. That's right. I, uh, that powerful passage that you mentioned earlier in Hebrews chapter 12, mm-hmm. you know, that chapter starts out with a powerful message and the theme of it is is that the lord disciplines those that he loves Mm -hmm. he's doing that for a reason he's trying to show us because he loves us not his mercy and grace he's trying to show us what he expects of you and me as his followers as citizens of this earth today and it leads right up to the passage that you mentioned earlier is that you cannot see God without living a holy life. Is that he's telling us that you need to prepare yourself as if you're going to see the Lord, whether it be in the next bit, because we don't know when the rapture is. You need to be preparing yourself to live that kind of life as if it was going to happen in the next five minutes or next one minute. And you know as well as I do, Chuck, that we're just not seeing that. People are not doing what Paul and Peter and James, what they said, put God's word into practice. Exactly. Well, David said that. Uh, David, uh, if you read the Psalms, you find out uh, how much he loved the word of God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, But the word of God is sometimes referred to as the law of God. Mm. And we don't like that word in America. In fact, Many of our theologians have so twisted uh, the meaning of the law of God that they have actually actually turned us against the law of God, and now we're free to live however we want to live, no matter what God has said. Well, we do have freedom in Christ, but our freedom is corralled by what Jesus and the Father have said. Jesus obeyed the Father, and because Jesus obeyed the Father— in spirit and in truth, then he was able to be the savior of the world because he was the only sinless and fully obedient person, the only truly holy Israelite that ever lived. Right. Right. So that means that this issue of obeying God is at the very heart of holiness. But here's our problem. I don't know if you're aware of this, But for the past, uh, I'd say, seven, eight years, I've asked many a pastor and parachurch leader here on this program, what's the most hated word in the church? Everyone except one said the word obey. Mm. O-B-E-Y, it's a four-letter word in the church. We despise it. We want to do what we want to do. We don't want to sacrifice. We don't want to obey God. 
We want to do what we want to do, and God has to approve it. Otherwise, he's not loving. So with that attitude, how in the world can we live a holy life? Tell us, Carl. Well, Jesus says it profoundly, is that I was, like I was saying right before the break, we have dabbling Christians in the world. It's like they want to taste a lot of the world, Mm -hmm. but then they also want to taste a little bit of God's goodness on the weekend. (laughs) In other words, we're fence straddlers. Yeah, we go. We're living middle of the road. We're, we're, We're those lukewarm Christians like the Laodiceans. It sounds like people talk about rhino Republicans. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. <laughs> Republicans oh. in name only. Yeah. Christians in name the, only. And here's the thing, Chuck. Jesus says profoundly that you cannot serve two masters. What is he telling us there? He said, you will love one and hate the other. So, in other words, I'm not saying that it's okay. It's okay to have nice things. But right. when they... When they start taking precedence over a jealous God, and they and those things become first place in your life, those other five or six days of the week, mm. you are going completely what Christ says that you can't serve two masters. No, you got to take you got to choose which one you're going to follow. Are you going to deny self, pick up your cross, which means you die to self, and follow me, or do you want to be a follower of the world? And once you fall into that trap, you're going to be deceived. You're going to be tricked. You're going to be you're going to fall for all the falsehoods that are leading people completely spiraling out of control. That's why a number of years ago I wrote a book called Seduction of the Saints: How to Stay wow. Pure in a World of Deception. Right. Seduction of the Saints. All the warnings of Scripture are to professing believers. Did you know that? Yeah. All of them. Hey. You, you brought up a very interesting point earlier about David. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a while, David didn't want to talk about the sin in his life with uh, having one of his commanders killed in, in a line of duty and his sin with Bathsheba. So God used a man by the name of Nathan to bring him this little storyline mm-hmm. that, and then all of a sudden, when Nathan told him what this, who this message was applying to, which was him, you got to love Psalm 51. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, my goodness. Did, did David act upon his conviction, create in me a clean heart, O oh Lord? Right. I mean, oh, my gosh. I mean, I get, as I'm talking about it and thinking about that chapter that he penned, Chuck, I'm getting gooseys up and down my spine. Well, yeah, because the Lord might be convicting you at the same time. Amen. Or me. Amen. Uh-huh. Amen. And you know what? What I love about what I love about uh, something that I heard Chuck, I heard John MacArthur say. Mm-hmm. You will know when Jesus tells us that you will know them by the fruit that they bear in their lives, right? That's what Jesus when, said. That's right. John MacArthur heard him say that. If you don't see, going back to the very onset of the the program, you brought about righteousness. If you don't see righteous living in a transformed life where that sinful nature, the things that Paul talked about in Colossians, if those sinful passions or desires are not nailed to the cross and you're not getting rid of them and you're not clothing yourself with those, 
the spiritual clothing that, that Paul laid out in that new life in Colossians chapter 3, that's a game changer right there. That right there separates those who are really striving to live the kind of life that Christ wants us to live versus the one who just wants to dabble with the world when they want to and taste God's goodness when they want to. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of a conversation I had last week with a, uh, a very fine a checker at Costco. And I, I looked at him and I said, boy, you've lost some weight. And he said, yeah, I've lost 30 pounds. And uh, he said, I really had dominion over my eating. And he said, I've stopped drinking. And I said, well, this, that's great. So, but he said, there's one thing I haven't been able to give up, smoking. <laughs> so, you know, here's a guy, he really is seriously trying to deal with some things in his life, but he just yeah. can't quite give up the one thing that he's hanging on to. I wonder yeah, if I there's, and, and I'm not here to, we've never done a program that I can recall on smoking here on this program, but, uh, you know, the, the, the Bible doesn't talk about smoking except that it says Mount Sinai was on a smoke when God came down in holiness. So if we don't, if we, if we don't deal with uh, these things that God talks about in our lives, there might be some smoke. Uh, And uh, what God wants us to do is be on fire for him. And your chapter six of your book is on fire. uh, Talking about the fire on the altar has to be kept burning and never must go out. Uh, you know, we, we've sung songs about this, uh, you know, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning till the end of day, uh, kind of thing, to the break of day. But the question is, how much do we really want the fire of God to be burning in our lives? It'll consume, it'll consume all the dross, it'll consume all the worldliness, and maybe we don't want to get that close to that fire. Talk to me about that when we get back from this break. God's holiness versus man's lawlessness, friends. $22 will put this very, very encouraging and helpful book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at $5. The closest you can. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Well, here we are dealing with one of the most important subjects in the Scripture, the matter of God's holiness, and he calls us to be holy, for he is holy. What does it mean? There are some historically in the church who believe that you can obtain absolute holiness, 
absolute purity. There are others who don't believe you can have be holy at all. So what is true? How are we going to understand this? So hopefully in this segment, this final segment of the program today, we can get to that. But you had something to say that was burning on your mind there, Carl. Yes, I do. You know, going back to that question that we ended with at the break, one of the key buzzwords in, in Leviticus is purity. Yes. Being purified. When, when we are going through that spiritual purification, what exactly is that? When you have the Holy Spirit, like you brought up earlier in chapter 6, when you have the Holy Spirit actively alive and at work in our lives, drawn out, purging all those ugly things in our lives, what does that do? That draws us not only closer to the Lord, but also we start desiring the same things that our holy God desires. Mm -hmm. We start to recognize that our body is the temple of God. And all that wisdom and knowledge that we're, that we're gaining in that relationship and that closeness and fellowship with the Lord, we all of a sudden start getting a gift of a discerning spirit, which I think is a very needed gift amongst the Christian community today. Absolutely. What you're saying is then that here we are still in the month of January where people are trying to make some sort of resolutions, get their acts okay. in order, and maybe God is saying something, even through this program, saying, you know what, uh, you're not dealing very well with my temple. Yeah. You're not dealing very well with my temple, and uh, you need to come to grips with that and ask the Lord, okay, what, what do you want me to do? How can I start? How can I continue on? What should I do? And uh, so these are important things. We don't have to, uh, you know, scratch around and people's individual minds and hearts. The Holy Spirit's capable of doing that. And uh, I believe even at this very moment, he's doing that. So, yes, indeed, the temple of the Holy Spirit, which leads us to a subject in your uh, a chapter in your book called Unclean Habits. Uh, do you know, uh, Carl, that there's a fundamental doctrine in the law? Every lawyer in law school has to learn this. It's called the doctrine of unclean hands. Yeah, the doctrine of unclean hands, and uh, which means that you cannot bring your request before a court of equity unless you're coming with clean hands. In other words, clean hands and a pure heart. Otherwise, you can't expect the court to respond to you. You don't have standing to come before the court. The same is true, God says, don't come to me unless you have clean hands and a pure heart. Try that's wow! A, what a what a what a beautiful analogy. Well, it is. Even our law is based upon that. Whether right. we follow through with it or not, that's another matter. <laughs> even yeah. our law is based upon that. Well, you know, going back to what we were talking about before the the break, Chad, is that well, be some, yes, we know that smoking in detail or or drinking is it's it's not in God's word as far as but we don't we know what God's word says about drunkenness. Yeah. But, but you know, I hang my hat on this. People say, golly, I, you know, making this, you know, New Year's resolution or being a more uh, committed Christian as far as honoring the temple of God, my body as a temple of God. Mm -hmm. 
what's my measuring stick? stick? I say, well, you know what? A great measuring stick, talking about law and freedom, is in the great letter that Paul wrote to uh, the Galatians. And go to Galatians chapter 5 and look at those nine elements of the fruit of the Spirit. I love how God orchestrates his word. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why he puts love first and he ends it with self-control. Because mm-hmm. he says that if, you will, if you will love me and you obey my commands, and follow my ways, I can lead you down this path to even self-control. And that can lead to that personal conviction, whether it be drinking or smoking or whatever it may be, because if you want to get a, a spiritual gut punch on conviction, just go to those five chapters in the letter of James. And James knows Jesus pretty well. That's you that. know what? The book of James is so powerful that Martin Luther wanted to cut it out of the Bible. That is a Exactly right. <laughs> he didn't like it. Martin he Luther didn't like it. <laughs> and I'm telling you, there is from from chapter one through chapter five. If you don't walk away with some personal convictions from those five chapters, there's mm. something wrong. Absolutely. You know what? Just today, we received word that the Pope, who calls himself His Holiness which itself is a blasphemous term because there's only one holy, and that's God, Christ, holy. Uh, But notwithstanding that, the Pope came out and urged Catholics throughout the world to stop watching porn. Now, I would have thought that this would have been just a given, for any professing Christian, because Jesus said that whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery in his heart. So adultery has become a multi-billion dollar business in America and all over the world. And if the reports from Focus on the Family are any uh, of any relevance... They told me a few years ago that the number one complaint or or problem that pastors reported to them for their own lives was pornography. I've heard that before. Now, 70% of professing Christian men knowingly, intentionally indulge in pornography. 34% of Christian women pursue their form of pornography. 30-plus percent of pastors admit to using pornography. Right. So if that's the case, then it would seem to me that coming to grips with the issue of pornography would be a fundamental, practical thing if we really were serious about walking a holy life. What say you? I say... I mean, even the Pope got it right. Even though he's calling for the practice of homosexuality, he got at least one thing right. You know, when you mention just the the title or the name Pope, I think about the Pharisees, the Sanhedrins in the New Testament. I think about why Jesus had to speak in parables. Mm. 
I think about there's 23 parables in the book of Matthew alone. Okay, but 23 parables in Matthew. Well, in Matthew chapter 13, almost a third of the parables are right there in Matthew chapter 13. And the first one, and I'll just, I'll just start with this right here. He starts with the sower of the seed amongst the four soils. Mm-hmm. And those four soils, <clears throat> what people have to understand, Chuck, is that there is, there's an issue. We know for a fact that the first one, the seed, with the, which is the Word of God, our holy God, mm-hmm. has already been snatched away by the enemy. Right. That second seed is upon shallow ground, rocky soil. And it's not deep enough, rooted enough, to where people are just straying away from the truth and the holiness of God. In other words, they'll embrace what they believe is a salvation prayer, but they won't walk out the Christian life, which which causes me to have serious doubts as to whether or not they truly are uh, followers of Christ. I mean, look, when the Apostle Paul, who who talks about the issue of law, we're living under grace and not law, but also says that before the great and terrible day of the Lord and the identification of the Antichrist, there's going to be a great falling away of professing believers. Right. We ought to take this seriously, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, apostasy is one of those big signs of people falling away. And we know what the Apostle John says in his first John epistle. Mm -hmm. They were never a part of us. Now, just just think about those words. If, if if that doesn't resonate with someone who who is out walking away, turning a face about against the holiness of God, and they still think some people believe it or not, Chad, some people still think that they're saved. Believe it or not. Well, you know there are people who have walked. Uh, in the spirit, they have uh, lived a holy life for 15, 20, 30 years, and then all of a sudden abandoned it. I'm thinking of the pastor uh, that followed the pastor of the church where uh, I met my wife, an evangelical wow. church. Uh, his wow. name is Mel White, and uh, he authored books by Billy Graham. He was the ghostwriter for Billy Graham, for Bill wow. Bright. For uh, several other, in fact, I think Pat Robertson, he was a ghostwriter for them. And then he turned homosexual. Yet he was a serious and recognized Christian leader. And then he became the leader of the Metropolitan Church, given to the practice of homosexuality. You know, was he a believer? Yeah. I think we've got to we've got to be very careful when we talk about well when they were never believers. Uh, you can't fall away from a place you've never been. That's right. You just can't. You can't fall away from a place you've never been. So we got a lot of theological hurdles that we've got to deal with when we talk about these things. 
But one thing's for certain. Let me just share this real quickly. Uh, A number of years ago, I was on my way to a pastor's prayer breakfast once a month in the birth city of America, Richmond, Virginia. And I was on my way across the birth river of America, that is the James River. And I asked the Lord a simple question. Why is it that after all of these years of prayer for revival in America and prayer for revival in Richmond, Virginia, we've not seen any? And the Lord answered me immediately. And here's what he said. My pastors are not preaching righteousness. So I'm contemplating that for a few seconds. And then he says, and by the way, because of that, my pastors have no influence in their congregations. And I'm contemplating that. And he says, and by the way, that's the reason why my church has no influence in your country. My pastors are not preaching righteous. So I got to the meeting, and we're drinking coffee together, having nice fellowship, and I shared that little uh, repartee with the Lord there with this pastor, who was a pastor of a leading congregation in our city that had its roots in the holiness movement back in the the late late 1800s that believed in entire sanctification and called holiness. And when I shared this story, here's what he said. He hung his head and he said, Chuck, I don't think I even know how to preach righteousness. Wow. That's our problem. That's our problem. That's why we have no holiness, because pastors are not preaching righteousness. And they're afraid to. They're afraid they'll lose their congregations. Well, Carl, I'm so glad to to have you here on the program. Thanks for writing the book, God's Holiness Versus Man's Lawlessness. Friends, it's $22 on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. Add $5 for postage and handling. Become a partner, friends. Do it today. Don't delay. The other guy's not doing it. You can see we're dealing with the most difficult issues that face our hearts and our homes. Blessings to you, Carl. Thanks so much for joining us. God bless you. Be a blessing. Thank you. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.